News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. Hi, it's FAQ NYC. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer, and I'm here with Katie Honan. Hi, Chrissy. And Harry Siegel. Hello. And our special guest star, Ben Max. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Listen, every election season has to have Ben Max. Katie, can we start with you? Um, Of course, making news yet again, not just about sandwiches, but (laughs) (laughs) you rolled up I just report the news. I don't make it. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, now you rolled up on Yusef Salam, who looks like he's going to be the next city council member of District 9 in Harlem. Uh, He rolled up with his Georgia plates. Um, There was some conversation about him being recruited by uh, former Assemblyman Keith Wright. So Keith Wright uh, breaks from tradition, breaks from the the old guard. Charlie Rangel endorsed Inez Dickens, as did Eric Adams, uh, as did Adriano Espayat. And it looks like, even with the very low turnout election, Yusef Salam is going to be the next city council member in a ranked choice voting race, uh, roughly over 11,000 votes that particular district. What do you think about that race? What was the the vibe in Harlem on the street? Yeah. So I covered that race. You know, there were, I think that was probably the biggest race in, in terms of results. Obviously, Chris Banks defeating, well, likely defeating Charles Barron in Brooklyn. We can talk about that later. But yeah, I was covering the Harlem race. And I actually haven't done too much reporting in, in Harlem or Manhattan. So I was getting myself up to speed. You know, the voters I spoke to were like, I want to change. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think even with the political endorsements, you know, a lot of active council members and, and elected officials and, and Mayor Eric Adams in his only endorsement of this this season, which we can discuss what that could mean for his. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if it means anything, but it, it was significant to me that the person who he endorsed did lose and not even necessarily very close. But, yeah, the voters I spoke to said that they wanted to change. They had, you know, concerns about a lot of things. Um, and Yusuf Salam, Keith Wright called him the prodigal son. He got some flack because, you know, he hasn't been living in Harlem in recent years. He's been living in Georgia. Um, and I know that's something that the Inez Dickens campaign had talked about, like, oh, he wasn't even here during COVID, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he and Al Taylor teamed up for a ranked choice voting endorsement. Inez Dickens very publicly was like, just rank me. Um, Mayor Adams has been very vocal against ranked choice voting as well, and they seemed aligned in that. But yeah, that's what we saw when it came to the voters. But, you know, people ask me, oh, who do you think is going to win? I I don't know. But I did decide to go to the Inez Dickens party first. I was there along with a few other reporters. But when those results started rolling in, you know, the first tranche of votes was early voting. He was up big. And I said, look, once it gets to 50 percent precincts mm-hmm. reporting, let's see if we can go down the street to the Salam party. And once I saw New York one rolling up their cords. Right. Like Zach, I was like, oh, we got to go. Right. So, you know, and the Dickens campaign had kind of said at that point, like, yeah, like it's, it's a wrap. It's, it's a wrap. So friend of the pod, Jeff Colton and I, we got in my car. It pained me to lose a parking spot because you know how par- Harlem parking is. Yes, I do. But we got there just in time to see a car about to parallel park into a spot in front of Harlem Tavern. And we go, oh, I go, oh, look at that car, Georgia plates. I go, oh, my God, it's Yusuf Salam. So we did do a little um, car uh, interview with him. And look, I mean, it was this real 
celebration as he walked into mm-hmm. the bar chanting his name. And, you know, uh, Keith Wright was there. Virginia Field was there. Al Taylor came later. You know, but a lot of people made speeches. And I think for for Yusef Salam being part of the exonerated Central Park Five, going through what he's gone through, he he's a very, you know, he's been a public speaker. So he was so prepared and and sharing his story and, and applying it to to the district at large. Um, it was an interesting race. Obviously it's not certified yet, but that, that appears to be the outcome. Um, you know, I, I was talking to people before the results yesterday during the day about what this race could mean. You know, if Ina Zickens did win, she would probably have been the strongest ally of Mayor Adams in the council, right? Which would have, right. hence the endorsement. Exactly. Which would have made some political, some interesting aspect of, of the politicalness of that. But, um, yeah, you guys can all chime in and, and yeah. analyze what this could mean for the power of Mayor Adams. If if it didn't matter if he endorsed her or not, it was going to go this way anyway. Or Well, I want to bring in Ben because, Ben, you know, I'm waiting to see the data. I'm always curious about sort of the, the racial and age dynamics of these like very low turnout races. So is this, and for our listeners, I'm so sure our super educated listeners know who Yusef Salam is, but just in case they weren't following District 9 in Harlem, uh, Yusef Salam is one of the exonerated five. Uh, you may know them as the Central Park Five, but you know he's gone on to do great things, but has not been living in New York City as of late. Um, but he was endorsed by Mike Walren, who's the pastor of FCBC, who ran against Charlie Wrangle in 2014. So you know he had some some endorse some pretty strong endorsements. You know, obviously Keith Wright. Um, but the UFT was behind Inez Dickens, Eric Adams, as Katie has mentioned. You know, if if I had to put money on this race, I would have thought that Inez Dickens would have been uh, kind of the heir apparent because in many ways, it felt like she, more so than Al Taylor, was running as an incumbent because she's been in office for basically 20 years. She's held a city council seat in the past. She was in Albany. Uh, Al Taylor was in Albany as well. I thought he and Yousef might split the votes. But I did realize that uh, Councilman Councilwoman John Jordan... Kirsten mm-hmm. Richardson Jordan, who decided not to run again, even though she was on the ballot and still received 10%, I did know that her voters would definitely not be Inez voters. So it was a toss-up as to where her voters would go. Would they vote for her on the ballot just because her name is there and maybe some people didn't even know that she wasn't running? Or would they go with Yousef because they know the name or Al Taylor because he's somewhat of an incumbent as well because he's he's already a city sitting elected official? And I didn't know... Uh, ben, and I want to get your opinion, how much the sort of gaff that last week of Yousef not knowing uh, the budget or the number of city council members, I didn't know how much people would really care about that, you know, not knowing that there are 51 city council members for, you know, a job that you want to be one of the 51, but you have no idea the number of your colleagues. So what do you think was kind of some of the motivation for people to break from the establishment. And do you think that that Harlem machine is is kind of dead? Because before they could just kind of, you know, when I think about Charlie Rangel and Inez and kind of that whole set, they could kind of go to the housing projects, pick up a gaggle of voters, and then just like not really worry about things. But I don't think that that stronghold is still there. Or maybe we're making, you know, Tempest in a teapot because it's so few votes. I mean, it's 11,000 voters. Like it's really not a, a high turnout race. Yeah, you know, answer one billion <laughs> questions that I just put out there. Thank there's, you. Good there, morning. Those, those are a lot of good points and a lot of questions. Um, so what's interesting about this race is that even though it's low turnout, it's I think probably going to wind up being the best turnout of any city council race yes. of the night. I haven't looked at every single race, but I did, and not, hardly yeah. any of them 
broke 10,000, except for this one. Yeah, 11,000 plus votes there. Um, I mean, you compare that. I, I'm like, I'm in shock about the low turnout in this new city council district in Brooklyn uh, that was created, you know, after the census and redistricting to be a quote unquote Asian opportunity district based on demographic trends. We can maybe get to that, but there were like 3,500 votes in that race uh, in the Democratic primary versus this 11,000 plus in uh, District 9. So so there was interest in this race. Um, and just for folks reference, that's out of like 140 or 150,000 eligible voters or something, you know, voting age population I'm getting at. I haven't looked at the Democratic, you know, primary enrollment numbers. And that's, you know, that's what we base turnout off of in a Democratic primary because they're closed primaries. But, um, you know, I mean, I think one of the big biggest things that comes into play here is Yusuf Salam voters were excited to vote for Yusuf Salam. Mm -hmm. And there is so in this off off year election with so little on the ballot, you know, voters, there's voters who vote every single election, no matter what. But that seems like it's, you know, not that big a number in New York City, obviously, for these local elections. And um, and you have to, you know, have some level of excitement for candidates. And I just don't know. Uh, that there was that much excitement uh, for anybody else in this race. Al Taylor did okay in his, you know, in sort of the northern section of the district that overlaps some with his assembly district, but he didn't really have that big a base in this city council district. And I agree with you. I thought Inez Dickens would, would was the favorite going in because she had held the seat. But you know, as as you've talked about on this podcast, and there's been lots of discussion analysis of uh, Har Harlem's also been changing. Uh, Yusuf Salam's, uh, you know, sort of celebrity status as one of the exonerated five is is obviously a factor in people knowing him and being excited about sort of getting behind him and giving him this opportunity and the fact that Keith Wright and his you know son managing the campaign you know Keith Wright is the leader of the Manhattan Democratic Party so he's um you know he has some semblance of uh, of an organization and people were uh behind the candidacy of Salam there you know Yusuf Salam not being able to answer some basic questions about the city council and city government looked bad to a lot of us who care about that. I don't think it penetrated. There also wasn't a lot of time for there to be follow up by other outlets. That was in an interview with city and state. Um, I thought it was fascinating. Katie, correct me if I'm wrong, but I was watching him give remarks on New York One about his victory. And I don't think he said a single specific thing about anything he wants to do or about sort of like policy yeah. policy or policy now his his personal story is obviously first and foremost so i'm not but but it was just an interesting to me to my ear an interesting follow to that interview that he still is not really thinking about sort of the groundedness of what it might mean to go into the city council but the focus should be on his his life story yeah, and, and i i think you don't really hear that in um in like a victory primary night speech i mean the debate on new york one I mean, they tried to get lots of information, but it was kind of difficult with the candidates. It was a very religious speech, um, mm -hmm. a lot of God talk, but but yeah. But I, and I, and I it know. was about his family and his story. Yeah. And, and of course, that should be the focus. I just thought maybe at some point he would pivot to like, and we're going to bring, you know, right. this to the district. And we're, but he's got time for that because, you know, he, he doesn't take office for for another six months. So, so Ben, I've got a question because. You know, you said Yusef Salam voters were voting for Yusef Salam. And I'm curious as to 
do you think some of those voters were also voting against Inez Dickens because of some of, you know, I'm thinking about my book, Black Ethnics, you know, towards the latter weeks of the race, there was a lot of conversation about, you know, Charlie, Charlie Rangel, they were saying, you know, this guy in the funny name, you know, it made me think about when Afia Atamensa was running for district leader in Harlem. And there was a lot of, you know, sort of Black American and kind of anti-immigrant sentiment coming from that old guard. Um, but that district has changed quite a bit. There are African immigrants, there are Caribbean immigrants. And Inez Dickens kind of leaning into these conversations about, you know, immigration and dumping things in our district and we don't have the resources and I'm not racist, but dot, dot, dot. Um, that coupled with Charlie Rangel talking about, you know, who's this guy with a funny name? It's like, Charlie Rangel, you know exactly who Yusef Salam is. Um, yeah, that do you think that that was a factor in any way for some voters, not necessarily voting for Yusef, but against Inez? Um yeah, there, and I would even add to that there was some, you know, sort of negative coverage in the Daily News and elsewhere about her, um, you know, as a landlord and how she's approached, you know, some of some of that um, portfolio. Um, I, I think so to some extent. Um, I, I do think it, it varies. You know, I, Inez Dickens, in some sense, was an incumbent here, right? She held the city council seat before. She's a sitting assembly member overlapping in the district. So Inez Dickens and Charles Barron in Brooklyn, you know, are the only two sort of incumbent like or incumbent figures who lost here. So I don't want to overstate how much sort of frustration is out there in the electorate with, mm -hmm. you know, sort of the powers that be. But there's something there about, um, you know, fresh energy, a younger generation. You know, there's there seems to be something there, at least in both the excitement for Salam and the fact that. Dickens and her team were not able to turn out more voters, right? right. I mean, that the, these low turnout elections really came down to what's your operation and who can you bring out to vote in the most, you know, basic ways. And Salam, though, had this extra advantage of his celebrity because of this awful thing that happened to him. So he had the advantage of getting his message out on national TV. Uh, you know, you're not getting that in other city council races, right? So he had a little bit of an extra boost there, but so much of these elections come down to like you're really on the ground operation to get people out to vote. And Dickens is just didn't come through. Right. Now let's let's boogie on to Brooklyn um and talk about this Charles Barron race. And and also I think, you know, as you talk about kind of fresh energy, I mean the Democrats really do have this loyalty to septuagenarians and octogenarians. And I'm not trying to be an ageist, but, you know, Inez Dickens is 73, Charles Barron is 72. So you look at a younger generation saying, you haven't passed the baton, so now I actually have to take it. Didn't want to, <laughs> didn't need to, didn't, you know, didn't mean to, but like, you're clearly not going to give it to me. So we're seeing people kind of come for these kind of Mount Rushmore greats, I guess, in, in sort of New York City, New York State politics. So Charles Barron has said before, there should always be a Barron in a seat in Albany and in New York City. And it looks as though Chris Banks uh, is going to be the new uh, city council member from that district um, in a race that was what, three people and some write-ins. Um, what do you say about that District 42 where Charles Barron has held the seat, you know, his, his wife, he and his wife seem to just kind of swap seats back and forth. But uh, thus far, um, the data is looking like uh, Banks will be the new city council member. Now that race garnered under 6,000 votes. 
but Banks has 50% of the vote and uh, Barron right now with 43% and a woman named Jamila Rose with a little over 5%. So even if Jamila Rose wasn't in the race, uh, Banks still beats Barron. Yeah, this is the potential end of a dynasty. I want to say a couple of caveats here, which is I wouldn't be shocked to see Charles Barron work his way onto the general election ballot on a you know independent line. So I right. think that I, I, that's not reporting. I just you know that's yeah. one of the thoughts I have while people. I thought that night. about Inez actually. Yeah, yeah. but but if we're gonna if I had to make a call, I'd say Barron over Inez to do. Yeah, it. and and he. Um, you know, pe- people were sort of tweeting about the the end of the dynasty, the Baron dynasty and all this. And I'm just thinking, well, what what are some ways he might not let, you know, might not mm-hmm. be so uh, ready to step off the stage. Um, and I'm sure that he would also be looking at potential uh, races to run down the line. I don't think Charles Barron just retires here if he loses <laughs> this, this primary. Um, you know, Banks has challenged him before. Banks had a lot of labor union support, a lot. Um, the Carpenters Union, I think, spent big on him in an outside expenditure. And then there were a whole bunch of other labor unions backing him that helped him get out the vote. Again, he's run before against the Barons. He had the backing of uh, Hakeem Jeffries, mm-hmm. um, who has wanted to see Banks uh, uh, prevail over the Barons for a while. So um, this was not shocking to me, but definitely an upset and definitely a very interesting, you know, likely changing of the guard here, though, though we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I, I'm someone who thinks, um, you know, the the barons often bring a perspective to, um, you know, state and city government that not a lot of other people are providing. Mm-hmm. And it's a really interesting voice. I think a lot of people have some, come to sort of see Charles Barron as, um, you know, someone who sort of gets going on rants and they just ignore. But I think actually, if you listen to him very often, he says some, you can disagree, but he has some interesting things to say. So his presence, um, you know, will be, will be an interesting, uh, void if, uh, if this does finalize like this. Yeah, I, I agree fully. I mean, I think the Barons actually keep certain issues on the table, um, and keep a fire under certain colleagues uh, that would otherwise just kind of acquiesce into the status quo. Katie, did you follow any of um, this kind of Brooklyn race or because you're a Queens girl, you know, you're, no. just, you're well, over my, us? <laughs> my colleague, um, Gwen Hogan, was covering the Brooklyn races. Um, you know, the, this is the the one skill I could work as hard as I can, but I cannot, we cannot be in two places at once, unfortunately. That's the the the, the limitations. But, mm-hmm. you know, even like the, as you called it, the opportunity seat, the 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 seat in Brooklyn that was created to for the Asian majority district had a very low turnout race, and I think with that um, seat, uh, I mean the biggest story obviously is 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 Banks defeating Barron. I forget exactly how many times he's run, but it's been it's quite a few. But um, you know, I think Susan Zhuang, the former chief of staff to in Colton, she had 57% of the voters um, in, in the Democratic primary for that. It was a very pretty low turnout, at least looking at the results in that. So yeah, it was interesting. But those were probably the, the biggest surprises, those two seats, and maybe even the third, the Asian seat, because I think the person Justin Brandon endorsed didn't win. I don't know what people want to... I know we read into things a lot, and sometimes things just happen the way they happen. But I like to look at what it means for the people who are currently sitting in seats of power and who they endorse and what it could mean. Yeah. Do you think that Hakeem Jeffries endorsement was something that pushed banks over the top? I think and I saw someone tweeted, you know, the labor endorsements. Maybe it was you, Ben, but like looking at the labor power. Um, another race that I do want to bring up in Queens 
is the Democratic primary um, for the seat currently held by Vicky Palladino. I think that actually might be one where we will look at ranked choice voting and it will uh, play out. I'm trying to look at exactly it's the Tony Avella, um, mm-hmm. who's I guess is like the Inez Dickens of of this. But um, my home turf, his home turf. <laughs> uh, he's leading uh, former Queens prosecutor Christopher Bay by just about two percent. But, you know, with ranked choice, we don't know, maybe people ranked Bay too, he'll kind of overtake it, which in 2021, we saw with, um, I think, Shaker Krishnan, who won last night, but in that race, he wasn't in first place um, on primary night, but with ranked choice, it it pushed him over the edge. Right. I'm looking yeah. at some of, you know, Shaker Krishnan, his his race didn't even garner 5,000 votes. I know, I know we don't want to jump to this yet, but I do think bringing up that city council district nine 19 race that Katie just brought up with the Democratic primary to see who's going to challenge Republican Vicky Palladino over there in that Eastern Queens district. Um, and then even the Asian Opportunity District, uh, 43 in uh, Brooklyn. And um, Katie mentioned Justin Brandon, which is District 47. He didn't have a primary challenge, but now he's set up uh, Ari Kagan, a, a sitting city council member. They got kind of drawn into the same district. So you have two city sitting council members who are going to face each other in November, the new Asian Opportunity District, this District 19 in Queens, they're three of what are going to be maybe somewhere around 10 competitive general election city council contests. And that's, you know, pretty interesting the way Republicans made some gains in 21 and are looking to hold on to those and then make a couple more gains here is a big theme, I think, um, that's going to be really interesting. And one of the questions for those general election races is who is going to challenge Vicky Palladino in this uh, District 19 race in Queens. And um, Tony Avella, the former city council member, former state senator who Palladino beat in 21 running again here. New York City Council Minority Leader Joe Borelli was on New York One last night reacting to uh, the news, and he was saying Republicans are pulling for Avella because he's so unpopular. They think they can beat him again. They don't want mm. a, a fresh candidate who might mm. actually excite some people and win that election. So he, as we see this ranked choice tally, that's not going to happen until next week in that race and, and any others where it's needed. Um that's a really interesting, you know, race for the general election. And, and there's a bunch of others as well. This is, we're all talking a lot about this. New York One's talking about it. The council's talking about it. We'll see if people turn out in these uh, potentially contested generals. There's also going to be ranked choices going to come into play for which Republican is going to challenge Marjorie Velasquez in the Bronx. Um, And ranked choice is also called instant runoff. We only have it bizarrely in New York City primary. So it didn't matter. If you were in Queens and Bronx and voting for the district attorney, for instance, because that's nominally a state office, it won't matter in the general election. And while ranked choice voting is also called instant runoff voting, the Board of Elections here is like, yeah, we'll get around to uh, that counting and who's actually won next week. Um, so it's distressing. These things do matter. Uh, but plainly, they don't matter to like the vast majority of New Yorkers. Maybe this is the message for present lawmakers, like the, the ones who, who, who won, lost, got a warning shot here. Like uh, right now, voters don't care all that much about these offices or contests, which means you don't actually need to assemble that many votes, which is a head start for incumbents, but also means somebody else who's energetic and put together some organization. You're looking at 4,000 votes. In, a, in most of these races, and, 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 and you're there. 
Um, and this says something, I think, about the, the serious diminishment of our politics and, and just a general level of, of resignation or disinterest in what's happening. We'll see if that carries through to these competitive general races in November. But uh, it's distressing. I point out also that we only had two primaries in the entire city. There are all these stories that said every council seat is up for grabs, but as many listeners know, that they didn't have anything to vote on in their ballot or just a judge race they knew nothing about. Uh, lots of these people did not get challengers, including people who did barely won two years ago who, and are now incumbents or in complicated positions. You only had two districts citywide where there were primaries in both parties. Um, so so the, the political machines aren't really functioning citywide. Voters don't seem interested citywide. And while it's important to talk about this, I do think just stepping back to say, you know, this is in some ways, a, it's not an election about nothing, but it's getting close to a sham of a democracy. And when we're talking about the will of the voters, it, it is, you know, for so long, we're talking about 4,000 voters in a district of about 150,000 eligibles, as, as these are. Um, it is remarkable to see New Yorkers just tune out of their local politics. But I mean, yeah. Harry, we also don't forget we asked voters to go to the polls last year. We asked them to go in 2021. I mean, we asked them to go in 2020. You know, I mean, we're asking we them to go. It to June. We changed it to June, right at the right. start of the summer, too. It's ridiculous. At the end of the school year and the start of the summer. I mean, so there's there's voter apathy and then there's voter fatigue. You know, I mean, for some of our voters, we're asking them to go to the polls two, three times a year, every year. So, and I think there's also an information gap. I mean, a lot of people are saying, well, municipal elections, I know, you know, I'm a good New Yorker. It's 2021, and then I pay attention again in 2025 for municipal elections. But because of redistricting, we asked them to come back again in 2023. To say nothing of, I did look at the numbers as to the matching funds. So, I mean, we have these races, and mm -hmm. this matching, these matching funds, just take District 9, for example. I mean, all four candidates got matching funds, Jordan included. So there's just... You were hemorrhaging money over here. And, and you know, I believe in free and fair elections, and I believe that we should be going to the polls. These are incredibly important jobs, even these civil court judges that no one seems to be paying attention to. But is this, you know, sort of this excess of asking New Yorkers to come to the polls just going to be too much and very, very expensive? I do want to zoom out, though, just a little bit, um, Katie and Ben, because um, I want to hear both of your thoughts on the Bronx and Queens DA races. No big surprises. Both Clark and Katz won decidedly. Um, you know, Bob Hart and I were on New York One this morning and he said, listen, you know, if if they had been unseated, it would have been, you know, or if they had lost, it would have been obviously a catastrophic moment. We don't really see this. Uh, you know, uh, DA's losing in a primary, you know, he gave one particular obscure example from like a Brooklyn race. But other than that, you know, it's kind of um, status quo that uh, DA's will rent, win their primary. I wanted to sort of get your thoughts a, on, on the two races, but also is this a little foreshadowing for 2025 and Al Bragg? And can we sort of definitively say DA's don't lose in a primary? Um because we know that so many people from the left and the right of Al Bragg will want to challenge him. Um, well, I, I think, I mean, I think these, these races, there was, um, you know, the real challenge to Melinda Katz and Queens was from her right. There wasn't really that much room to her right. She hasn't been governing as, you know, some big reform prosecutor. That was not her platform. Uh, you know, modest reform, uh, you know, conviction, integrity stuff was was in her platform. But 
the big thing with Melinda Katz was that she defeated Tiffany Caban when she first won the seat, right? So she was not the sort of like more progressive um, prosecutor coming in. So there wasn't that much room to take her on there. And it's not like since she came into office, crime has been skyrocketing Queens uh, by any stretch. Um, in the Bronx, I think Tess Cohen thought challenging Darso Clark from the left would make her into something of a progressive movement candidate. And there was just no energy for that and no interest in that. And that just went nowhere. Um, that was, I think, her gamble. But she didn't have that lined up ahead of time. So there was no real movement there from the left to try to unseat Darso Clark. I think Alvin Bragg's uh, re-election campaign is going to be a you know game of its of of its very own, a unique next election. We'll see what the circumstances are around it, but I don't know that um, you know. There's a lot of things I would take from these. The one of the biggest things is there's going to be forces that try to unseat Alvin Bragg from the right. I don't think he gets a serious challenger from his left. Is it in the Democratic primary that they try to really put money behind somebody who's who's a moderate to conservative Democrat and try to unseat him there? Or they try to do it in a general election where, again, there's, you know, a dwindling Republican uh, presence in, in Manhattan and Bragg won his initial election by such a huge general election percentage of the vote. Um, but I think there's probably going to be a whole bunch of uh, of movement to try to unseat him in one of those. But, you know, he'd still be a strong favorite as far as I can tell, um, unless, you know, again, crime starts to spike or something like that. Mm-hmm. Katie, what do you think about Cats and Queens and Clark in the Bronx? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm familiar with Queens more. I think Grasso will run on, I, n- I know he has one of the other lines already. So I think who knows if that, if he could generate enough energy between now and November. And who knows? I mean, you know, I think people's thoughts, especially when it comes to a DA race, right, where you're thinking about crime and public safety, who knows what the summer, what the summer could bring that would change people's perspective in Queens. You know, Melinda Katz didn't win by a lot when she was challenged by Tiffany Caban. And I think Queens can be, you know, Queens can be even registered Democrats could vote Republican if the circumstances are right in large numbers. There doesn't seem to be any real atmosphere out there at this point that she's, you know, freeing lots of, you know, quote unquote criminals and all that, you know, this, there, there doesn't seem to be a big narrative around her that I can tell that's sort of out there that like, you know, there's this energy that she needs to be unseated in a general election. I'm not saying it'll be necessarily easy for her, but, you know, somebody would have to be, you know, a pretty strong and well-funded general election candidate. And, you know, at this point, I'm not sure, you know, I see Mm -hmm. that happening, but like, in these primaries and then the general election, if you're an incumbent, there's no reason to be comfortable at all because the low turnout is like anything could happen. You know, we saw this across a bunch of city council districts where I'm like, wait, why is that sitting city council member even, you know, campaigning? They have a challenger who's doing almost nothing and raised almost no money. But of course, you can't just leave it to chance and not campaign. So, um, you know, anything can happen in these races. Yeah. And I think I brought this up maybe before, but I think the other you see someone like council member Bob Holden who lives in Queens. He's in the post every week talking mm-hmm. about Alvin Bragg. <laughs> it's not even his DA. So I think a lot of the people really, um, I know those unnamed forces, they come for Bragg as if he's the only DA in the whole city. So I think maybe some right. of the other district attorneys, um, they escape some of that major mm-hmm. criticism. They absolutely do. Um, so final thoughts. I want to sort of, wrap up all these 
races, I mean, there's so few hyper-competitive races, but what does this mean for our chosen leader, Eric Adams, um, who has theme music these days, I hear. Um, (laughs) We're going to get so, I'm going to get so sick of the drum, the kick drum thing from, which I asked these people at a school yesterday at bedside and they're like, it's a pretty played out song. I was like, thank you. I agree. Anyway, we'll talk about it. What is the song? It's Jay-Z and Alicia Keys. Um, Uh, Yeah. See what I mean? Oh my gosh. I can't take it. I really don't like that song. I well, I I I don't find Alicia Keys's voice sonically pleasing. That is oh, my I like Alicia way. Keys. Was, oh. but, but before we get into that, I do. I just got an email from Evan Peace, the mayor's very very loyal campaign manager, who also is a black for many other um, causes. Sometimes I'll talk to him twice one day for two different completely stories, completely different stories. We have a Siena poll that, according to him, shows New York City voters continuing to support Mayor Adams and key policies. I have not looked at the cross tabs, but we can. Use that information as we go into what these primaries could mean for Mayor Eric L. Adams, man of God. Man of God. Harry. Also, also the giver of the Eric Adams Award, yeah. uh, which he will be giving today, according to his public schedule, to uh, worthy high school students. Uh, honoring high school students, awesome. Uh, doing so with a uh, new award you've named after yourself, I don't know. That, well, I would give that the mayor caught my eye, too. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I do send out, I send out awards um, once a year. The Dr. Christina Greer Excellence yeah, Awards? Yeah, I do. Um, to different people. Some people have received them. It's a certificate and I write down something that I think you deserve an award for. Um, and it's a surprise and it's award season and I just send people awards. <laughs> well, I look, I, I'll, I'll make sure you have my address for the future. Um <laughs> Just on Mayor Adams, I mean, I think a couple of things. One, I don't think this overall, I don't think this primary election means much for him, you know, at all. Um, I do think, you know, again, among the political class and among, you know, some of this discussion that we we have, of course, the fact that he came in and the only campaign he really got involved in was Inez Dickens in Harlem, and she did not come close to winning um, is, is not great for him it's not great for the narrative that's out there about you know him not being that popular and you know and this especially in a in a place where he did well but he wasn't on the ballot and uh, eric adams on the ballot is very different from eric adams backing inez dickens on the ballot but still doesn't look great for him the other thing that came to mind for me and and we talked about this a little bit but we didn't get into it so most of the other winners, um, you know, in some of these contested primaries were pretty moderate to conservative Democrats. You know, Susan Zhuang in this new district in Brooklyn, uh, you know, was seen as more moderate to conservative. Um, uh, and then, you know, you had you had other instances of that. Chris Banks is clearly more of a moderate than Charles Barron, who's a you know socialist radical. Um so, so uh, for Eric Adams, some of those tea leaves look good, actually. And I also think that was the case in um, this district in Brooklyn, District 41, where council member Darlene Mealy, who I, I guess is a moderate, she doesn't really seem to, um, you know, go to city council meetings, but she got elected yet again and has won a, a whole bunch of terms without seemingly doing very much. She won comfortably against one of the only working families party back candidates and that's again in sort of central Brooklyn in a place Eric Adams did well. And, you know, they didn't, uh, the Working Families Party wasn't able to organize around this progressive challenger to a sitting city council member. So 
I would just throw, uh, it doesn't look good on the, on the Dickens race for Adams, but a, a bunch of these other sort of tea leaves are favorable towards him in terms of the overall sort of milieu. Mm, salad uses the word milieu. <laughs> so, okay. In conclusion, <laughs> are there going to be any surprises or interesting um, things we need to look for? In November, Ben. So you, you sort of alluded to it could be a barren surprise. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a Dickens surprise, or or maybe she just goes back to being a landlord and is like, all right, fine, you know. Uh, well, she gets to keep her assembly seat, so you know that is true. She, she, I, yeah, I don't, I don't see them trying to organize something for the general election there, but it wouldn't shock me. Mm-hmm. Katie, any surprises? I don't know if it's surprises, but I think it's going to be, um, you know, I think there might be some, ugh, I hate to use like these euphemisms of like turning red or whatever, but I think a lot of districts, there'll be a real Republican mm-hmm. surge. That's another word I hate, but you know what I mean? I think this was sort of the, this was the undercard, I think, of the races of this year, because I think mm-hmm. maybe in November, we'll see some real um, Republican or just moderate conservative, uh, moderate Democrats or even conservative Democrats. And they have a lot of time between now and November. Um, I think that's going to be yeah the biggest. Uh, I mean, it's obviously it's a general election. It's for you know Republicans against Democrats for the for the vast majority of seats. But that that if Republicans can hold the gains they made and then build on them in the city council, I think that's you know the biggest thing to watch. I think this two sitting council members that I mentioned, Ari Kagan, a Republican who was a Democrat against Justin Brandon, the Democrat in. Um, this Southern Brooklyn seat is going to be a major battle general election. And I think it is one where, um, you know, Justin Brand is going to call in every favor that he is owed because his political life is on the line there. He barely won last cycle, um, you know, having to outrun the top of the ticket. And he's, you know, definitely in some uh, challenging waters uh, as Katie's getting at. And then, you know, there's like, six to 10 in- interesting districts all around the city that that actually will be in play in the general election. So it's going to be pretty interesting. So listeners, stay tuned to the general in November uh, and make sure you are registered to vote if you are not already. Um, since in New York, we don't have same day voter registration and we don't make it easy for you to register to vote either. Uh, ben Max, I want to thank you as always, we're bringing our special guest star to discuss elections with us. Uh, you're going to come back in November? I would love to. Thank you. It's always fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. You've been listening to FAQ NYC. I'm here with Katie Honan and Harry Siegel. I'm Christina Greer. We will see you next week. Bye. FAQ. This has been FAQ NYC. We're part of The City, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc slash give if you'd like to pitch in. We're an affiliate of NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and are a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, critics, and artists. Find it all at popula.com. Our hosts for this episode were me, Christina Greer, and Harry Siegel and Katie Honan joined me, as well as Ben Max, our special guest star for all election coverage. Harry Siegel is also our executive producer. Our engineer is Adam Kamara. As ever, dear listener, thank you for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, be well, and we will be back next week with more. <laughs>